Okay, hi everybody, Jeanette Jifkins from Onyx Legal. And what I wanted to share with you today is what makes a contract binding. Uh, so for example, we received from a client a document they wanted us to review. They intend it to be a binding contract and it's incomplete. So it's got some information there, but it's more informative than contractual. And we're going to work with them to restructure it and add in some additional terms to ensure that it protects their interests most effectively. Now, under Australian law, we have common law here in Australia, uh, which common law, I think it's common law in Canada, uh, the US, um, Australia and most Commonwealth con countries, what that means is we rely on precedents as well as legislation. In a civil law country, they rely on an interpretation of the legislation um, only. So it's not what the judges decide and referring back to judges' decisions as much um, or at all. So in Australia, under the common law system, there are four key things to make a contract binding. You have to have an offer. You have to have an acceptance. You have to have consideration. Now, consideration is frequently money, but it could be something else. Um, and you have to have an intent to create legal relations. So, you know, that Friday night down the pub where someone says, I bet if you do such and such, um, or I bet you won't do such and such, and if you do, I'll pay you $500. We have actually had people ask if that's enforceable. No, no, it's not. Um, you know, there's no intent to create legal relations there. It's people having fun and having a bit of a go at each other and all of that sort of thing, and no, you can't enforce that. Um, on the other hand, there's lots of contracts that happen within family environments and then people come back years later and say, hey, I wanted to enforce that. That was intended to be enforceable. And people say, oh, but it's a family situation. Maybe not. That, that was not our intent. Generally speaking, they are enforceable. Um, and the, the whole thing about enforcing contracts is some some of them have to be in writing, but very few actually have to be in writing to form a contract. You can form a lot of agreements verbally. The purpose of putting it in writing is so that you remember what you actually agreed. Okay, so um, we have people say to us, oh, you know, I didn't get this signed. Well, there's very few contracts that actually have to be signed to become binding. So, for example, when we write terms and conditions for people, we will say that they become binding from the time you either request services, pay money or give instructions. You know, anything like that, that triggers because that's consideration. That's triggering the understanding of the person receiving that information that you actually want them to do something. Um, so they don't have to necessarily sign a document to get them over the line. We do have people in business who are very concerned that they do get a signature on a page because then they can prove that this person agreed. And that's what the purpose of a signature is in most documents. It's proof, proof that the person who signed it agreed. Um, so there, there's some tidbits. Um, let me say, with offer and acceptance, um, there are a whole lot of technical things, but just take it on face value. Um, 
if you offer to do something for someone and they accept that, that's your offer and acceptance. Um, that's still not enforceable until there's actual consideration. And that consideration, a dollar is sufficient, can be sufficient consideration for something. So when you go to like um, buy a car or something like that and they want to deposit, a uh, dollar is actually sufficient. They don't normally want less than at least, say, $500 because they want to know that you seriously intend to buy this car. Um, so it's all proportionate. Um, we have had a case in the past where a real estate agent said, oh, you have to pay a month's rent for us to even put in this application for you for it to be considered that was not enforceable. That real estate agent believed it was and they went all the way through QCAT and the um, tribunal member slapped them over the wrist and made them repay all of the money. Um, so there's different situations where the level of consideration will make a difference. But generally speaking, $1 can be considered sufficient consideration. And the whole intent to create legal relations, it's interesting because we have a multicultural society. There are some cultures that will say, oh, no, 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 that was never my intent. Um, and this is part of the reason why we have written contracts, because it's very hard to say it wasn't my intent if you've got a contract written up that is clearly intended to be binding between the parties and someone signs it. Um, so, yes, there you go. And contracts can be made over email. An exchange of emails can create a binding contract. Um, we often say to people, if you verbally agree something, put bullet points in an email back to the person and um, unless I hear back from you within seven days that this is wrong, we'll move forward on the basis that these are what we agreed, these are the terms we agreed, because then you've got something that you can look at after the fact in like two or three years time if there's any chance of a dispute and say actually no that's what we agreed because our memories I don't know about you I can't remember what I had for lunch on Wednesday last week so I'm certainly not going to remember with fine detail the terms of a, a contract for services or something else that I might have agreed on Wednesday of last week and that's why we put things in writing. So, any questions? Yeah, I was going to say, if in that particular situation, we send an email with the bullet points, would it be advisable also to get a read receipt or a delivery receipt on the email? Um, who's our techie person in the room? Um, that would be Andy. Hmm. Uh, Andy, how valid a read receipt? Like, people can the, turn the, them off. You can deny a read receipt. Um, you can disable them within the application. Read receipts basically work on the principle that the end party is in 100% control. If they decide not to send them, tough. Yeah. Nothing you can do about it. My answer to that one would be irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. That's only really just for a notification to say, yeah, I think you've read it. I've clicked on the button, but I don't necessarily have read or even understood. I could have just been clicking through. Uh, so they're just in that case there needs to be a reply well no not necessarily if you write a guillotine clause in your what's called a guillotine clause so if you write a provision in there that says unless i hear further 
and let's say hear back from you that it's something different. This is what we'll proceed with. Okay. That's yeah. what yeah. a guillotine clause is because you create a trigger and you have to have a time limit on that trigger to make sure it does trigger. Um, yeah. So you can do that. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Fred. Um, yeah, just one question. Like when you say like verbal contracts are binding, what about the he said, she said, and no, I didn't say it? type of scenario who wins in that situation um whoever the court decides is most believable (laughs) okay and that literally that's how it works Um, especially if you've already started some work or something like that for that person and even then um because i read court decisions on a fairly frequent basis um if the court thinks you're not credible as a witness then it doesn't matter what's in writing if they think something else has happened and it is relevant in the circumstances to take into consideration surrounding circumstances. Um, You know, so there's all sorts of things, but that's all the technical legal stuff that only 1% of the population have to deal with because that's about how much of disputes end up in court. Yeah. Okay, Anna, question. Yeah, thank you. So I had, or still have this case that uh, I was want to work with a company from England and want to build an app together. And now they sent me this contract or agreement and uh, I'm not happy with some of the points they stated that I'm responsible if they have any losses and vice versa and stuff like that. I asked them to change it and they said, no, this all has to be in. So... I'm now reluctant to sign anything because I think if something happens, they can still get me. But is that actually true? Even if I'm here in China and I'm far away and they have- Do you have any, do you have any assets in England? I have a bank account, that's it. Yep, well, then you have, you put the bank account at risk if you enter into a contract with them. Because what happens is in those sorts of situations, if anyone's liable, um, they still have to prove that and they still have to get a court order to say that you've got to pay that. And if you do it in a jurisdiction where the person is not, so if you do it, if that decision is made in the UK and all of your assets are in China, then the only place they can go to get that money from you is to go to China. What it does mean is you've got six or 12 years with a court decision um, where you probably don't want to go into the UK because they may do something when you enter the country or leave the country, depending on the value of the contract. Um, But when it's across different countries, like we have IP disputes where there's, there's a particular IP lawyer in the world who says, come, to, you know, I'll take you to the Supreme Court of Berlin. Who cares? You know, unless you've got assets in in Berlin, doesn't matter. Um, so I would still consider your risk in that situation um, because if they find you liable and you've got somebody using it in China and you are in China, what's the implications for you under Chinese law? I don't know. Um, and anybody who says, no, it can't be changed, <laughs> they're kidding. Um, you can always push back. And okay. I've, had a, I've had a client who said, no, I don't want to do this work. And 
suddenly they changed the terms. Okay, can't, can't, can't Anna just turn around and say, look, I agree with these points, but I disagree with these points, yeah? Well, then that whole offer and acceptance I was talking about, that becomes a counter offer. Mm, yeah. So unless they accept it, then there's still no contract. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, Andy. Yeah, I just want to sort of make some comments on this one. Um, being a technologist and stuff, um, you know, I've been asked to do lots of discovery work and um, it's made easier and easier as time has gone, gone on. Um, we focus on the Microsoft 365 space. And one of the big things there is e-discovery, right? Um, and what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of these systems, especially the Microsoft platform, is logging and tracking every single interaction and can go in and discover things like, you know, chats between different people within different organizations and such like. Do you see that as a big part of your um, role with these sorts of these sorts of things like e-discovery, people needing to go back and just recover email logs and chat logs and other things for, for that? We do see that in litigation, but fortunately we don't do litigation. Right. <laughs> I was I was a litigation lawyer in my first five years and I got to a point where I realised that it's as much as fun as litigation is, it is a game for lawyers and it does nothing for anybody else involved in the whole process. Um, so... If you ever get in a situation where you have to be involved in litigation, the best thing to do is come to some sort of resolution and get out of it as quickly as possible. Um, but definitely e-discovery is becoming bigger and bigger. Um, we fortunately haven't, we haven't had to have someone, a specialist come in because in the situations where we've had a dispute, the people involved have been so unsophisticated with technology that they haven't hidden anything <laughs> and uh -huh. it's been right there you know obvious very you know in your face um and we've one of the things we have done is we've started writing into employment contracts for people um a warning that their email is not theirs it's not theirs personally and the company can monitor it and review it at any time and we'll have access to it after they've departed um, because a lot of people think that their office email address is, is, you know, their personal property and it just isn't, it belongs to the company um, and any communication on it is accessible to the company if they so choose. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we found um, for an engineering company I used to work for, they used to get sued a lot, um, not because they were doing bad work, it's just the nature of their business. It's just uh, the industry, yep. Yeah, and they would say that every time that they had litigation against them, it cost them a million dollars in discovery fees. Yep. Uh, that's why we spent close to a million dollars putting in a system, this was 15 years ago, right, um, to help with that discovery process, which reduced that bill from a million dollars to $50,000. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Um, and e-discovery is a really big area of technology now. Yeah, uh, as I said, if anyone who is in that space where this sort of stuff and having evidence um, do make sure that you've got an understanding of what your platforms can do for that discovery purpose. Otherwise, yeah, you could have a million dollar bill looking for this stuff. <laughs>